and welcome to another edition of the Flying Tortuga Brothers podcast. I'm Carl Stovland, along with my co-host Shannon Torrance. Hello, everyone. Hey, Shannon, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How about you, Carl? Good. Well, it's been a week since our last interview when we had Jen Walls on, and that was a great interview. We had so much fun. Fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. In response to it was was really good, so I'm really happy with it. Sounded good, which always makes me happy as the sound engineer slash interviewer. Uh, but also the content was really, really good. I thought it was a good interview. I love the artists that we're getting. They're they're, they're amazing, and they're in so many different fields. I can't wait to, to speak to Beatrice. Yeah, and with that, let's lead right in. Uh, our guest this week is Beatrice Chacha Movitz, and she was recently the artist in residence at the studios of Key West. When was your residency? Uh, my residency was a month-long residency in um, November 2018 last year. For our listeners, Beatrice is an ocean researcher and artist, so she's a, a double threat, as it were. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you're combining ocean research and art. So um, the way I do my work is I usually um, combine my research with scientists and already marine biologists and people who are in the field. Um, and then I translate those research they give me into visual art. Um, more like I usually do drawings and sculptures, and the sculpture becomes installations. And um, I use the information as infographics and also um, to give me base to create the installations to talk about the problems that the ocean is facing. Did I see that one of the installations was being planted in the water? I saw pictures of that, I thought. Yes, you did. Yeah, that's, that's, that was my latest work. Actually, it was an open call for the first in the water museum of the United States. And um, I got in, I was accepted and commissioned a piece um, alongside with um, 10 other artists. And it just recently went into the, into the ocean at the Gulf side of Florida. So... Like the uh, like the Jesus sort of statue underwater, yours will grow coral and um, have things living growing off of it. That's the idea. Exactly. Beautiful. That's, that's the perfect idea. So m the piece I did for this museum, it's called "To Replenish with Water," and it's a piece um, reflecting the basic species of corals in the Florida Keys and around Florida um, that are kind of like seriously declining. So I and I did um, those pieces, um, and they were all infused with forms of plastic and everyday waste that I did all in cement, so that the corals can attach to them and grow and give um, homes to other critters. So I guess one of the questions I have is: Did you try to mimic natural um, sort of coral foundations, or or or? Um architecturally the same kind of structure as coral? Yeah, kind of. Like, because in my, the way I do the work is I usually um, mix a lot of imagination with science. So I basically, for this work, um, it wasn't a perfect replica, but it was something that alludes to those species. So I did pieces like that looks like um, pillar corals, staghorn corals, and elkhorn corals. But they are all like different formations, and um, each one of them occurs in a dip different depth of uh, the ocean. 
But then I put them all together in this big cluster of corals because they are all in the same situation. They are all dying. Mm. So that's why I did it like that. But I usually in my drawings, I get a little bit more creative, whereas in the sculptures, I go um, more to the side where the forms have great relationships to the stuff that is real. Right. So like in the drawings, I've seen that you have these really amazing uh, patterns developing and such a great sense of design using the things that are in the ocean that are actually attacking the coral and then to actually build the installation out of the things that are causing the harm and then mixing them with cement and giving the coral a place to attach to and grow. There's a, a real beauty and harmony to that. Yeah. Thank you so much. I totally agree. I mean, my objective as an artist is to give um, more homes to corals and just in every sense that I can with my work, generate awareness to people so they understand that every single decision we make in earth affects the ocean as well. So I wanted to create the synchronicity of things that, and in a sense, show people the symbiosis of the underwater world, which is one of the most amazing things that they have under there. So that's why I actually draw the way I, I do and I do my sculptures the way I do. Because all the pieces that forms together a bigger form just relates to how everything is underwater. So everything is correlated and all the ecosystem is connected. So when I want to show them that, I do a creature with the whole ecosystem inside of them. That's beautiful. What was it that brought you to this? What was the pinnacle moment that made you think, this is, this is what I want to do? It's going to be sculptural and it's going to have to do with the ocean. There had to be a moment, right? Yeah, well, there was a moment in my life where I decided that my um, communication or my speech towards art would be about the marine environment. Um, it was the first time I dove in in Bahia, which is an estate in Brazil, north of Brazil. And um, I went inside of this little mini cave that you could go through it. And that moment just changed my whole life because I saw so much intricacy in that and so much life in it and everything so different and alien and mysterious that I just never came out of there. I'm still there. <laughs> That's so funny. It's, it's beautiful actually. So um, interestingly enough, um, mm -hmm. I knew a lady that um, would be in the keys all the time in the forties and fifties. And when they were building the railroad um, cups and saucers would um, fall off of the railroad tracks as they were building them, and coral would attach to those things. And she mm -hmm. found them in the 60s and 70s, and they're the most beautiful objects you've ever seen. And that's the first thing that came to mind when I saw your work is um, someone will come across your work at some point underwater because, I mean, you're pretty close to the shoreline. I mean, what do you, mm -hmm. your work is in like 30 or 40 feet of water? Or? It's 60 feet of water, 60 actually. Feet. You have oh, to dive to yeah. see it. Yeah. That's a, that's a deeper dive than the, uh, than the Christ thing, um, the Christ sculpture. Yeah. It's also because it's um, a hurricane location, so that's why we did it so low, so deep inside of the ocean, so that if in any case um, a natural disaster would occur in that sense, it wouldn't affect the sculptures. Oh, that's interesting. What forethought? 
Yeah, yeah. So the museum, it's called Underwater Museum of Art of Florida, and they are the responsible people that did the whole mechanics into putting the sculptures into the water. So my part was basically modeling and doing my, my sculpture piece, and then I deliver it to them. How long did then, you how long did you work on your sculpture? Just out of curiosity. Of course, um, I worked for a month and a half nonstop. Wow. So what happened was like I got a sponsor to do this with, and the sponsor is a company of cement. It's called Freedom Cement, and they um, brought me up to Massachusetts, where the the company is. And I stayed there for a month and a half in uh, Central Mass in a town called Brookfield in the middle of the forest, just doing the sculpture. And that was like my every day, just waking up at seven, doing everything I needed, go home, eat and sleep. Going to the forest to make the the art for the sea. I love it. Yeah, it's it was so I mean, it was so paradoxical in a sense that I went inside of the country and in so into something that has no connection with the ocean in a visual way to do something that would be helpful for the ocean. So it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. I think, I think it's a metaphor for the whole, for the whole experience because everything is interconnected. So the forest wouldn't exist without the ocean and so on and so forth. Exactly. And it's like, it's the beauty of this. This was um, the biggest piece I've ever done until now. And also, I've never had work with cement before. So there was a bunch of new things happening in this piece that I didn't have as much control as I usually have with my other stuff. But it was amazing not to have this control because I was learning so much. So it was like, it was perfect. That's really where the magic happens for all of us as artists is when we stretch ourselves beyond what our normal work is and, you know, add more tools to our toolbox. Exactly. That's, that was amazing. And now I just, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue working with cement or if it's going to be partial or like, because after the, the work itself, I did a bunch of research on the effect of cement on the world. And I just covered so many horrifying stuff that just, I'm thinking very, very much about like, because I want everything that is about my work to have consideration to what I'm doing. So I can't use a material that is destroying land. So I'm I'm just like, uh, okay, so how can I do this? Right. The more cement and asphalt we have, the less place we have for the water to do what it's supposed to do as it hits the ground. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, I mean, the industry of cement is the second country that puts in uh, more CO2 in the, in the planet. So it's considered a country. So it's just, just gigantic. I mean... What we use, um, as in commodities, the first one is water. The second is cement. Wow. So, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's that's a big yeah, number for the CO2. It's a big number. It's so, it's so it's terrifying. What are we doing to extract and create cement so we can construct the world we live in? And so for, for that reason alone, I'm starting to reconsider using cement as a medium for art in, in my work. So for your for your um, your small sculptures, what are you using for those? Clay. Clay. Mm-hmm. I use two types of clay. Depends on the size and what I'm doing with them. Um, I can do firing clay or air hardening clay. It depends on like the project. Gotcha. 
that's, okay. That's well, as hmm. part of what we are doing with the Flying Tortuga Brothers project, the the, the goal that got us started with trying to do a podcast and and put a, a larger social media footprint out was to, uh, because last year we applied for the residency in the Dry Tortugas through the National Park Arts Foundation and didn't get selected. Now, part of that's our fault because we did it at the last minute, but we really wanted to make sure we put our best foot forward this year and, and jumped in. So that's where this whole idea came from and then the more it developed the more we started talking to other artists we realized that we were building a platform for other artists to have a a place to research about and to learn about residencies and what the experience is like so i guess i have two things to talk about the first one being tell us about the actual experience of the residency at the studios of key west what was your day like i know you were there for a month and what was your resulting work from from being there mm-hmm. so funny enough you say that you guys started this because of dry tortugas and i also applied last year and i didn't get in as well as popular as it is it's also you know one of the most extreme ones you need two artists and you know they have to be very prepared to be there because they're not going to get a lot of outside support when they're on the island yeah i've been to loggerhead island i, I saw the facilities i i dove there and it was part of my program as um as the artist in residence but let me come back to like my day-to-day basis and sure. how was the the residency in itself um so the residency um, can host to three or four to five artists at a time. Um, they have two cottages um, in the downtown area of Key West, and it's very close to everything, to the beach, to Duval Street, to whatever you need. And um, I stayed in the lower um, floor, which had a bigger space as a studio because I was working on uh, my sculptures, my drawings, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so my day-to-day was kind of like I started by going out and doing field research and connecting with people because being in Key West and knowing the situation of the keys and the corals over there just made me um, have this more of a, uh, of a going outside intent than being inside of the studio. Okay. So every day I would go out, I would go to the ocean, I would see if I can meet people, I would go to the marina and just talk to people about how they view the ocean and understand the coral reefs. Um, and then that led me to meeting a bunch of people that really do research about it, going to moat marine facilities and doing like um, diving with people that are researching new diseases in corals. Um, I did uh, some mangrove cleanups as well around the area and in big pine. So Basically, my residency was kind of like a full-on throttle research program for myself so I could identify and understand what is happening to the corals and the keys. And that, in that sense, what can I do about this? Um, so basically what I did was just going out every day and, go and finding people who could talk to me about this. Mm-hmm. And then once I had the, those information and started to understand the situation that the corals were facing down there, um, I went back to the studio and I started to sketch up some stuff. Like, And then in the middle of all this process, 
right before I came to America and to do this uh, residency, I had an exhibition in the National Museum in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro. And that museum caught fire, and I lost all of my pieces that I've done in the past seven years. Oh, my goodness. That's really yeah, got it, it was devastating. I mean, and not also just for me, for the whole museum, we lost about 200,000 objects of national value. And that was something that hit me hard. So while I was understanding the death and the declining of the corals and the keys, I was also looking back to all the loss that I have faced with all my, um, with the producing of my art. So um, I started to create a painting, which is so wild and crazy because I haven't been painting in at least 10 years. So the thing about that, the coolest thing about a residency is just that it gives you a shift of perspective in your own work and in your own environment. So that makes you change everything about your your research and what do you want to do with all of this. So it was, in the sense, it was so amazing and so opening for me that it, it changed everything and also made me want to stay in the United States. Well, it's it's astounding to me that you went through that right before your residency and were grieving your your body of work while going through this process of understanding the decline of the coral. So, I mean, it, it probably amplified and struck notes in you that you didn't even know where you were going to bring to the residency. Exactly. It was, it was like, for me, it was very deep and very transforming. And also what I gave um, for them, because they didn't ask for me to do a show or present a work, um, I created a workshop um, that I gave to people from the community in Key West, and the workshop was called Modeling the Reef. And in two days, um, it was a two-day workshop. And the first day we went to the, to the studio's facilities, me and eight other, ten other students, and I teach them how to model clay in clay, coral, sponges, and everyday trash. So that's and while I'm talking about the ocean environment. Oh, so it's, after, it's it's hands on as well as you're teaching while you're doing it and talking about yeah. what's going on. That's that's the perfect marriage right there. You've got the exactly. audience. They're in the palm of your hand and they're working and they're just absorbing what you're telling them. Exactly. And actually the most amazing thing about this workshop is the second day when the pieces are dry, we take all the pieces that the students make and we do a live car cast um, installation in the beach so that not only myself is doing like t teaching people about it, but the people who I thought they are the ones who start passing on the information so that can create a chain of behavior change because that is ultimately my goal in doing the type of work that I do. I mean, what I wanted, what I want with my work is to cause behavior changer into people so they and understand that everything that they consume and every choice that they have in their lives are affecting the environment. And if you can understand that, then if you shift your behavior in what you consume and how you go about your life, it will have serious impact on the corals as well. So how cool is it that you can use art as your medium for talking about environmentalism and get your point across? I think that that's 
um, my hats off to you. I think that sometimes just just getting the art produced is, you know, sometimes it takes all your soul to do that, that you actually have a mission and a plan around all of it is really quite impressive. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. I mean, it's like, I don't know, it was just a calling. I couldn't, it's, been, it's not that I came up to this. It's just, it came up to me and then I had to do something about it. Because once you have the knowledge, you have the responsibility. There is no way going around that. So there is like, in my career as an artist, it was very interesting how all of the, how I got to this point of like creating environmentalist art. Because that was, wasn't where I started. It was so basically the aesthetic. But with the research, I mean, there was a, this whole year in 2015 that I couldn't produce. I was with this block, like a gigantic block, because I started to understand that what I wanted to come across with and the information I had, it wasn't enough with what I was doing. So it, and in that point, like a year in this year, that's where I understood that I wanted to work with sculptures and to do installations where um, people could interactively play a role in understanding how everything is connected. So that's, that's it changed a lot for me once I understood that I, I had the responsibility to do something about it. Boy, and it's unstoppable. When the muse and your conscience get together at the same time, there's not much that's going to stop you from getting done what you want to get done. Exactly. It's so true. So what I want to do... It's like it's a force. It, it's a force of nature, and it's actually... You can't even control it. It's driving you. Mm-hmm. So totally. I want to point this out to our friends that are listening, that are artists applying for residencies this is the kind of thing that you're up against. If you're not getting selected for residencies, you're not getting the ones that you think you're going to get, it's because you're up against artists that are not just technically proficient at their art. They have a message and they have a point of view and they're bringing that across. That's in my experience, my limited experience with the residencies is I'm applying for them in the workshops that I've taken. Mm-hmm. The, the goal of, Locking yourself away and not having the outside world is fabulous, but you better have more to your game than that. There better be something you're trying to do. Like in my case and in Shannon's case, we're both doing similar things to you. We're trying to show the world of Florida. For me, it's mostly the Everglades. Um, and in Shannon, it's the coastline talking about, you know, what is there in front of us and it's disappearing as a filmmaker and an audio artist, I'm also recording the sounds of the Everglades and I'm finding it's breaking my heart that I have to hike further and further in to find a spot where I don't record sound and hear an airplane and cars every five minutes. Mm-hmm. I totally get you. And I think that is a superb job to do. I mean, taking care of our planet and ecosystems that we have that we still have because you know they're disappearing in front of our eyes and we have to show this to people like you can't be oblivious to what's happening to the planet there is is no way to do that anymore and people like us that see it and want to propagate that and communicate that just makes it makes such a difference it's ridiculous i mean it's so big there's um, I can't even think of anything more important to do with our art than that. It's so. Me neither. 
you know, again, to to our friends that are out there applying for, or thinking about applying for residencies, definitely um, remember when you're writing your artist statement that you want to have something driving your art. You have to have, you know, for us, it's, it's there's definitely an environmental piece to all three of us, but whatever your hook is, whatever that thing that you want the judges to know, make sure that you highlight that because that thing that makes you stand out. I mean, when we first started this, we thought just the social media presence alone was going to be different, that we would almost have a movie already produced about the process before we even got the residency and that we would have, you know, this following and a structure for people to learn about residencies that would be look really great on paper. And it does, but you still have to convince them of your point of view and what's moving you to make the art. The meat that goes with the uh, creative process for sure. Yeah, It's part and parcel with you, Shannon. You can't separate your art from your feelings about the world around you. And that's evident in everything you do from your poems to your paintings. So when you applied for your residencies, did, do you feel like um, you did anything special or anything that really caught their eye that was a little different than you probably would imagine anyone else doing? Um, I don't know. I mean, for me, I've applied to the studios of QS like in 2014 and I didn't get in. Um, but then at that time, I didn't have such a drive in an environmental action. And I think that changed um, and it gave me more of a reach and more of a seriousness about the work that caught their attention. So in a sense, I mean, what I try to do every time I do a residency uh, application is I try to be the most objective that I can with fewer words, but very, very to the point. Because what I think is like an advice that I could give to people listening is that they have so much to read and to see and to look and to judge that the more objective you are and the more straight to the point you are, the more they understand that you know what you're talking about. And also they don't, they don't dwell a lot on your application. It's so objective, so straight to the point that there is no misreading to it, no misunderstanding to it. Yeah, I can't tell you how many artist statements I've seen with, you know, flowery flowery language that when I went back and reread it, I asked myself, what did I just read? Exactly. Like, I, um, hello, I don't understand anything you're saying. Cause everything, like, because the art world has this linguistic of florencing everything. But when you're about judging and looking for things that you want to go into with your own work, you can't be talking like that because it's not for the mass public. It's for people who need to approach and understand and visualize your work in five seconds. You're absolutely right. I mean, you think about the pile of um, applications they have in front of them and it's just like job resumes, you know, going through an HR person, there's got to be that, that thing that puts them at the top of the pile. It makes them want to pass you on to the next person. And that you're exactly right that that's, that's what needs to happen. What's the greatest response that you've seen from your work from the public when you've seen them view your work? Um, I think that's, um, I would say the best response I had was with this installation that I did where people had to walk on top of my sculptures to get into the exhibition. And so 
you have to destroy something that you realize that it's art and nature at the same time. And you have to go through it if you wanted to see the exhibition. And that type of um, work that I did with the public, it was just so cathartic because people responded in so many ways, but they responded in, in a sense that they felt so freaking bad about destroying art that looks like something that they realize that is dying as well, that this movement gave the public um, an understanding, a better understanding of their own actions. And in that sense, um, when I did this exhibition, a lot of the public, because it was like um, in Sao Paulo with friends and friends of friends, and it was just like an experiment um, exhibition. And so all the public was artists and friends and people that I knew um, and then after that, they came to talk to me about my installation and just the response of, of um, how they felt about that changed everything. It changed the way it imprinted inside of them a care that they have to have towards the environment and towards art that for me was one of the biggest changes I could do right now, like in in behavior changer, in just understanding that everything is connected. And so for me, I believe that the best way I, and the, the biggest way I influence people is by creating works that they can interact with and understand it in, in their emotions, not with their brain, not with rationality by just by feeling it. it that is so um, interesting and profound at the same time. I mean, it's uh, so when you take these, um, diving and snorkel tours from Key West and you go out to a reef somewhere, the, the first thing they tell you is, you know, please don't put your feet down, you know, don't bang into anything. But they want you to experience the nature, but they don't want you to break anything because they're being that careful. So you're having people break things in order to experience beauty. It's, mm -hmm. it's part and parcel with the whole, with the whole package. It's beautiful. And it's also got to be one of the bravest things I've heard of an artist doing is put their heart and soul into it just to have it destroyed. destroyed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I have this, I don't know, I have this drive of things that, in a sense, they're very melancholic, but they are, in, in the same way that they are melancholic, they are so beautiful. And from my experience as being an artist, uh, I, I found that this, is the way that I can actually generate change. Um, it's through emotion and through connectivity and making people fall in love with the ocean. So what I do is I, um, I poke them. I poke people. So I do both things. Like um, I would do this installation, and, and on, on the other hand, um, I'm doing, I did this um, – What's that? What's that I'm told? I did a, a children's book that teaches children about um, about fishes and how awesome they are, their qualities and how they their behaviors, how they feed, how they reproduce. And and it looks like my it's like my drawings, and you have to find things inside of it. You can play with it. You can do a bunch of things. There is there a fake fish in the middle that you have to find out which one it is. But then at the same time, it's like scientific stories. So if I if I want to generate change in the sense that I'm trying to and I'm probably accomplishing it, I have to think about the whole scenery of people. So I can't just influence the adults 
to have mood and behavior change, I have to influence the children as well. So in this sense that I can, I can do like a 360 view and, and, and um, maybe just open up the eyes of more people instead of just going for people who are art and, and, and who love art and who wants to see art. So, and then I take this to classrooms. I, I do things with kids and because I think everything that I do is in a sense that I want to create social impact and I want to create change into people's mindset. Well, I think you're so, achieving it in ACEs. So congratulations on that. And you brought up a point about the fact that, you know, you draw, you, you're working on a painting, you do sculpture and you've done a book while it's, Art has become very democratic because the barriers and the mysteries are gone. You know, everyone can work on art. You know, we're an example of that. We Who knew we could make a podcast, you know, and all that fun stuff. But um, it's a great time in that way to be an artist because, you know, you're not limited to one medium or two mediums. You can spend a day on Google with something that you're interested in and add it to what you're doing and, you know, expand your platform 10 times with more reach because you've just thought of another way to include what you're working on and it's still your art. It's just for more people, like you're saying, you know, you can't, you can't just go to the collectors. That's, you know, that's a, that's a very closed off, closed loop system that art has survived in for a long time, but it's changing and you want, you know, especially with what you're trying to do with activist art, you, you want to get the kids, get them now and, change their behavior because that'll last a lifetime exactly that's that's the perfect point i mean if if we are trying to salvage what we still have as nature as in connectivity as in as a, a complex ecosystem not just for nature but for human beings as well it's that's how we have to go about things you can't just find a focus and go straight to that point so there are so many other points that are relevant to what you're doing that today we can do that. So we can do it like that. We can be um, more diverse in what we're doing. And so I think this is, this actually it is, I agree with you 100%, is an excellent time to be an artist because we, as an artist, we can do so much and so much more that we could do in 20 years ago, 50 years ago hundred years ago you're right and the other side of that coin too is that we might be on the third side of this coin at this point but um as a photographer you know there are no places left in the world that basically haven't been photographed you know there there's no no space in the world for a landscape photographer who's just going to take a pretty picture you better have a reason for why you're taking that photo and you know try to mm -hmm. tell somebody with that photo that's really at this point for me is because there's a lot of technically great craftsmen artists out there that are making pretty stuff but unless it's got a point of view and unless it's going to force the viewer or the buyer to do something, then it's missed its mark. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And we still have a bunch of art that is in that sense and it's growing and it's still going forward. But for me, it's not like, it's not the deal. It's not the most important thing. Stop for me as an artist, selling my work is not my objective. I need to sell my work because we work in currency. We work with money, but that's not my objective at all. I mean, 
it just it was before it was like talking about the ocean now it's about changing society and it's just so much huger and it, there is so much to do about that that it just becomes endless work has to be thought provoking now to be changing i mean if you think about art and art history you think about the impressionists were painting they were stepping outside the boundaries by painting their everyday life and that was crazy at the time now to be crazy at the time is to actually look at your environment and your and your world and say this is what's happening what what do you want to do about it or but the work takes on a, a different sort of mantle but that's what makes it relevant everything else is decorative exactly exactly everything else is decorative and this is not what um, in a sense, what I perceive from your work, this is not what we're trying to do. This is not just to create imagery and be to, do stuff to put on people's um, walls. This is not the objective of this. It's so much more than that. If we look at the work uh, of Francis Alice, for me, he is one of my mentors in a sense that the way he shifts knowledge and understanding of, of the world is gigantic. Is so big because he goes to places that people don't go and he uses um, community to create the work. And so that in that sense, for me, this is the pivotal work that we have to do now. And it's so much more complex than just doing something that can be sold. Then, and it's a whole process of thinking and creating and just how do, how do we engage with the public in a sense that we can transform that. And that is the question that keeps um, coming up all the time that I think about my work. Pretty profound thoughts from uh, when did you graduate from school? <laughs> I graduated um, in 2008. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're dealing with is, you know, a, a powerhouse artist here, folks. I mean, heed these words. Um, <laughs> she's been out there for the last 10 years after school and just has found what she's going to make her life about. And that's, that's really when you can take making art and having it do something for other people, that's, that's really the end of the ball game right there. Awesome. Beatrice, where can we see your work next? What are you up to? Since I'm in this intermittent situation of understanding, like I just applied for the green card and I'm now like shifting and understanding. I just moved to Miami two months ago, like mm -hmm. seriously moved. So I'm still calculating my next move. I, I still want to, I need to go back to the studio and just like dive in there and produce like insane so I can have my next move. Before that and showing, I still don't have it. Okay. Well, in the meantime, uh, our listeners can find you on your website, BeatriceChachamovitz.com, as well as on Instagram. And we'll make sure to add those links to all the social media stuff we do around the podcast. Marvelous. That's well, awesome. Beatrice, this was a great conversation. I enjoyed talking to you so much, and I look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. You're exceptionally yes, talented. Me too. It was beautiful talking to you. Yes, to both of you guys, too. And I actually really want to see your work. So maybe we can exchange that. If you guys are like an hour from me, yeah. maybe we can go for a coffee and talk more and not just leave this to the podcast. Absolutely. Who knows Who knows where this will lead? There might be a combined project coming in our future. Exactly. That's, that's my thought point. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yes. Take care. My pleasure, too. Thank you so much, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Well, that was a pretty thought-provoking interview, and I got a lot to think about as I start writing my next round of applications for residencies. Yeah, she made some very valid points. Definitely, um, you both hit the nail on the head with having something extra besides your um, adeptness at your skill or talent at doing what you're doing, your eye. You, having an, um, an extra part being heart, basically, in exactly. your work is everything. And it's, it's not that the work isn't pretty, and it's not that it's not technically competent, but it's just that more thought has gone into it, and you're using it as a platform for getting a broader message out. Um, and for both of us, it's tied very closely to Florida, the Florida you remember from your youth. Um, and then for me, it's the moving here three years ago and discovering the Everglades and wanting so badly to protect them from development and bring the water flow back to a more natural course. Truly. Yeah, she she was amazing. And I think everything she had to say was very insightful, especially for somebody that's listening to that's going to, going to apply for a residency. I, I caught myself a couple of times going, man, she is dead on it. No wonder she's gotten two. Yeah, if there were long pauses, it was because we were both listening going, uh-huh, yes. uh-huh. <laughs> She knows what she's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Next week, we are going to try and have, we have a couple of more people in the pipeline and we will be doing another interview. If not, we'll have some other stuff to talk about and maybe we'll get Shannon to bring out another one of his poems that we haven't heard yet. I would love that. I love that. Terrific. Well, Shannon, until next week, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Carl. <laughs>